right. Thank you. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promise that your word goes forth and it never returns void. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Uh, Lord, it's your word uh, by your spirit that changes us. And so, God, the messengers change. And, Lord, uh, thank you for the opportunity to, to have this brother, Pastor Lawson, step into the pulpit here and, and open your word for us. And, Lord, as it comes from a different mouth and a different voice, uh, representing different churches and ministries, Lord, the word remains the same. And, God, we trust that you're going to do a great work in our hearts today. We pray that you'd bless our brother as he opens the text and that by your spirit you would give him great unction and clarity and that by your spirit you would open our ears to hear what we need to hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. All right. Well, good morning. So good to be with you. Also to see some old friends. We lived in this community for many years. My wife actually taught in this school for 14 years. It's good to see Marie being welcomed into your congregation. She worked on the staff of Scripture Union for a few years. So that's wonderful too. I want to speak to you this morning about family matters and about fostering faith formation in the home. One of the surprising findings in the EFC, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada Parenting Faith Report that was published last year is that parents who rarely attend church are more confident about nurturing their children's faith than parents who regularly attend church. Yes, you heard correctly, you don't need another cup of coffee. Parents who attend church sporadically are more likely to believe they're doing a good job fostering their children's faith formation than parents who attend church regularly. Now, how on earth is that possible? Well, psychology helps us understand this anomaly. There's a theory called the Dunning-Kruger effect, and it postulates, and I quote, those who lack knowledge or skill in certain areas tend to overestimate their own competence And conversely, those who do have skill and knowledge tend to underestimate their competence. Here's another fascinating finding. In the 2021 Multinational Children's Ministry Report, of which I had the privilege of being one of the researchers, many children's ministry pastors say that most parents don't know how to nurture their children's faith. They also say that most parents expect the church to cultivate their children's faith, and even when parents know it's their responsibility, it's a low priority. Is this true? Have Christian parents abdicated their responsibility, their duty, to nurture their children's faith? And have church leaders fostered a leave-it-to-the-expert mentality and usurped the parent's role? 
or maybe even has a consumer culture blinded us to our God-ordained responsibilities. This morning we're going to turn to God's Word for some answers, and so I want you to please open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth one from the beginning, and to chapter 6, and in just a moment we will read the first nine verses. I'll be using the English Standard Version this morning. I think that's what you use in your church, right? So if you've got a phone, go to ESV. That's the version you're looking up. I thought it was an appropriate text because it's a formative text for the whole nation of Israel, setting them on the direction God wants them to go. We're at the beginning of a new year, setting our direction for the year ahead. So let's see what the Lord has for us. I want you to stand, please, as we read the Word. Try and find different ways in the different churches I go to to elevate the fact that this is God's holy Word, the most important Word we're going to hear this morning, far more important than the commentary that follows. This is the living Word of God. And so I'm asking you to stand so that we can honor the fact that this is His Word. Amen? Listen to the Word. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And God's people said, thank you. Please be seated. Father God, as we go to open your word now, we ask you, Lord, to speak. Lord, may my words be in the background and that word of your Spirit be in the foreground. So speak, Lord. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength 
and our Redeemer. Amen. Deuteronomy 6 marks a new beginning for a whole generation of people. And as Moses begins to speak to the nation of Israel, I can just picture the people hanging on every word. For these are the words that form the nation and guide it for generations to come. And they no less essential for us today. For these words are God's blueprint for passing faith from one generation to the next. Pass forward to today. As you sit here together, do you have children? Do you have grandchildren? Do you maybe have great-grandchildren? I want you to picture one of those children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren. Just one. And as you picture that child, or grandchild, or great-grandchild, bring their name to mind, think about where they are right now. I can actually look and see two of my grandchildren right here. What might they be doing? And as you think about that person, just turn to the person next to you and just give them that name. Just share that name with the person next to you. Different generations. My family goes way back. I I love researching all of this. And I've done a whole lot of work and I've discovered my family goes way, way back to a guy called Adam. And his wife Eve. And your family does too. That means we're related why we speak about us being family. We're relatives. And so as family together this morning, we're going to now get into the specifics of that text we've just read. The first thing I want to point out is this, that faith formation involves everyone. The context of the Deuteronomy 6 passage is here, O Israel, those three words. Don't skip over them. I've read through the Bible many times, and for, for decades I skipped over those three words. I didn't see the importance of them. But this message is for a whole nation, a whole people, not just a targeted segment. It's for the whole faith community. Reaching and equipping successive successive generations to love and live for Jesus involves everyone. No exceptions. Includes youth with younger siblings and young adults at university. I love sitting behind Three tall young men this morning with their T-shirts on, volunteer. They get this. 
It involves empty nesters and senior citizens and adults without children and the pastors and leaders in the church. Everyone has a part to play. God never intended children's faith formation to be the sole responsibility of their parents and grandparents. We're in it together. It's not someone else's job to connect children with Jesus and his story. God needs you and you and you and you and you. So a little question. Are you connected with a child in your church? Are you? Every one of you should be connected with at least one or more children. According to the evangelical Christian polling firm, the largest in the world in the United States of America, the Barner Group, children are three times more likely to read the Bible independently, obey the Scriptures, and rank church attendance as the high point of the week when they have meaningful relationships with one or more adults in their church. You can make a difference in the lives of every child in this church. Wow! It's not programs that change children's lives, it's people. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone. Amen to that? Amen. Second thing that I see in the text is this. That faith formation starts with me. The object of the Deuteronomy passage is our hearts. In verses 5 and 6 it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now, I know the real, mature, ready-for-anything Christians have got their highlighters on their inner pocket. You whip out that highlighter, choose the color that you think is going to really bring this text up for you next time you open your Bible and highlight that text. Of course, if you are a little bit more modern, you pull out your phone and you can highlight with your phone as well. You're welcome to do that. The biblical definition of the heart isn't the organ. It's the totality of our being. It's more than our emotions. It includes our thoughts and our desires and our affections and our imaginations and our reasoning powers and intentions. To love the Lord your God with all your heart is to love Him completely with your emotions, your intellect, and your will. That's why I like the way Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases these verses, and he says this, he says, write these commandments that I've given you today on your hearts. Get them inside of you and then get them inside 
of your children. If God's word isn't branded on my heart, there's no way I can impress it on my children's hearts. But when my faith is authentic, it endorses what I teach my children and grandchildren. Listen up, mums and dads. The best gift, we've just been doing all this gift giving, haven't we? But the best gift you can give your children is your love for Jesus. Those of you who've got your phones with you, I know, I'm sure the pastor in the past has said, turn them off, put them away, pull them out. I'm going to go against tradition. Pull out your phone, please. Turn it on, not the sound, just turn on the phone. And I want you to send a message to yourself. Type it in. My wife laughs at me. She says, old men use one finger like this because she uses her thumbs like most others. I have to do it like that. You do it any way you like and type this message either to yourself. If you don't know how to send it to yourself, send it to your spouse or a loved one. It's always good to send a message like this. Here's the message. The best gift I can give my, and then put the name in of your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter. The best gift I can give my, put the name in there, is my love for Jesus. Best gift I can give my name is my love for Jesus. I'm asking you to do that because when you open your phone again later today or tomorrow or whenever, or in five minutes' time, depending on whether you're listening to me or not, <laughs> there's a reminder to you. See, I'm a visual learner. When, I, when that pops up for me, I'm going to go, oh, yes. I need to know that. I need to live that out. Because faith formation and the fostering of it is for everyone and it starts with me. Thirdly, faith formation is a journey. The outworking of the Deuteronomy passage is a process. Verse 7 says, You shall teach them, speaking about the Scriptures, diligently to your children. The New International Version says, Impress them, the scriptures, on your children. Impress them. And the New Living Translation says, Repeat them again and again to your children. Again and again. Faith formation isn't a one-off exercise. Nor can it be compartmentalized. Faith formation is a 24-7 undertaking, ongoing. Now my youngest son will soon be in his 30s, and I probably shouldn't give this away with Christy sitting here, my older, his older siblings, because he has an older brother as well, will soon be in their 40s. My three children and their three tremendous spouses, shout out for Josiah, have blessed me with 11 
grandchildren. My wife and I are sort of empty nesters. I still have my 95-year-old mother-in-law living with us. But here's the point. Our God-given responsibility, that's for Karen and myself, to foster our children's faith formation didn't end when they moved out of the home. Karen and I are obligated for the rest of our lives, no retirement, to equip and encourage our children to follow Jesus. And we're to do that naturally and normally whenever and wherever we can. Now, I love the way Moses in the passage describes this process. He uses opposites, sitting and walking, lying down and getting up to indicate that any time is suitable for talking about the Lord. Fostering faith formation shouldn't be complicated. There are three simple things in the passage that we can all do. Number one, in verse seven, we can talk about Jesus and his word in the home. Even the busiest of families sit down to eat a meal together. And research indicates that when families eat together at least five times a week, they build strong, enduring bonds. Prioritizing table time, especially when we bring a focus to Christ at the table, nourishes our children's faith and spiritual growth. Now, the kitchen table, certainly in our home, which is now Christie's home, she bought our home in Aurelia from us, is where we connected, and even with my mother-in-law, continue to do so with God's Word interactively and experientially. Now that we're a little older, we no longer act out the passage and do some of those more robust activities like we did with our children. But as they would tell you, it's where together we grapple to understand and develop a biblical worldview that we could stand by and live by. That's the first thing. Let's get around the word at the table. Maybe that's a great New Year's resolution for some of you, especially as only 3% of Christian families in North America actually read God's Word and pray regularly together as a family. Only 3%. Second thing that I see Moses speaking about here is talking about Jesus and His Word in the car. Now, I know the text doesn't say car. It says, while you're walking along the road. But we don't tend to do that anymore. So it's in the car. Modern equivalent. I love being in the car with my family because they're a captive audience. Oh, there's dad. He's talking about God again. Well, jump out if you like, but we're doing 70 kilometers an hour. They never have done that to me, by the way. It's beautiful. When you're in the car together, it's an opportunity to share what God is doing in your own life, 
to ask questions and just connect around the things of God. We've debated together. We've even prayed in the car while we've been traveling. Of course, if I was driving, I didn't close my eyes. Uh, but the car is a great place to connect. So you connect in your home, especially around mealtimes. You connect with Jesus and his word in your car. And thirdly, talk about Jesus and his word in the bedroom. Before we go to bed at night or get up in the morning are great times for reflection and contemplation. According to Dr. Kark Panskep, the father of effective neuroscience, there are nine, nine minutes in every day that hold the greatest influence on children. They're the first three minutes in the morning when they wake up. They are then the three minutes when they come home from school, those first three minutes when they've arrived home from school. Homeschoolers, that probably gives you a lot more time. And they're the three minutes right before they go to bed. Family ministry specialist Phil Bell says, and I quote, for the most part, children just seem to be more spiritually sensitive and a lot more open at bedtime. See, fostering our faith formation isn't complicated. There are three practical ways that you can take with you now as we go on from there. And as you do, keep your eyes open for teachable moments and bring faith into daily life. The fourth thing that I see in the text is that faith formation is deliberate. The requirement of the Deuteronomy passage is intentionality. In verses 8 and 9 we read, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, devout Jewish people take that text literally. They bind what's called a phylactery around their forehead, and they nail mezuzahs on, their, on the frame of their doors. I don't think God necessarily intended these verses to be applied that way. Oh, and by the way, the phylacteries and mezuzahs have a little scripture text in there, the Shema, which we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. So, so the word is always in the forefront for devout Jews. But what about us today? Should we now uh, have a sale of mezuzahs next week when you come to church, or is there maybe a different application? And I think God wants families to have practices and priorities that deliberately keep Jesus and his word at the forefront of your everyday activities. And that requires intentionality, doesn't it? So one little question as you move on into this week and into the year ahead is, what are the intentional, deliberate actions we can take as a family to do that? Catholic author Life Kerwalt views family life as revolving around three R's, ritual, routine, and rhythm. 
I like that. Creating a structured environment in the home is essential. If there's disorder in the home, children are focused on survival. But when there's order in the home, children are more likely to reflect on their feelings and their identity, which are critical factors in faith formation. So don't compartmentalize faith formation from daily living. Create intentional moments and traditions and experiences that integrate Jesus and His Word into your family's everyday lives. Some implications before we conclude. We're nearly done. Three practical implications arising from this text. There's many more, but I'm just bringing you three. Number one, God wants parents to take the primary role in fostering their children's faith formation. Now, depending on the age of the child, the average parent in a year... So parents, this is what you're going to have in the year ahead. You will have approximately 3,000 hours of direct time to interact with your child. That's a lot of time. It's more with younger children. It decreases as they go into their youth and they grow older. In comparison, this local church, much like any other local church, will have 24 hours in this year to spiritually do something with your children. The average Christian child in North America attends church 1.7 times a month. That's where we get the figure to about 24 hours in a year. Obviously, the church cannot be the primary discipler of your children. You, mum and dad and grandparents or uncle and aunt or spiritual parents or however you connect with those children, you are the primary faith formation specialists that God has appointed. The second thing that I see is that God wants the community of faith, the local church, to take a secondary supportive role in fostering the faith formation of the children. One of my joys, knowing that my grandchildren attend here, is seeing the intentionality that Redeemer City Church has in doing just that. We thank the Lord for that. And then thirdly, God wants us to foster faith formation so that we, our children, and grandchildren respect and love the Lord as long as we live. So that's the three implications. And as we conclude, I want to ask you this. Are you hearing God's Word? Are you hearing God's Word? You see, it's not enough to hear. You must listen. To listen is to act on what you've heard. So what do you need to act on? What has the Holy Spirit impressed on your heart and mind this morning? 
Is there one thing you're going to do when you leave here today, apart from rushing to get to the front of the queue for the potluck? What's the one really important thing, more important than your stomach, that you're going to do? What is it? Don't miss the opportunity to pursue what God prioritizes. Don't miss out on the wonderful gift of giving yourself for the good of others. Successive generations desperately need you to tell and teach them about the phenomenal works and wonders of the Lord. A lot of excitement as we start a new year. I also start this new year with a very, very heavy heart. This generation of Canadian children is more disconnected from Jesus, His Word, and His people than any previous generation in the history of our nation. The Alpha generation started being born in 2010. At the end of this year will be the end of the Alpha generation. 91% of the Alpha generation in Canada are not connected in any way, shape, or form with a church. 91%. Don't keep the Lord to yourselves. Don't hinder the children by your inactivity from coming to Jesus. Tell the children about him. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, a child needs you to help them grow up with Jesus. A child needs you to help them grow up with Jesus. You've just preached your first sermon of the year. Very short one. I need to tell you when I prepare messages from week to week, I first have to live it myself. I first have to own it. Not to do that would make me a hypocrite. You've just said to the person next to you, child needs you to help them grow up with Jesus. Live by it yourself. Don't insulate or isolate yourself from God's purpose for your life because this is what we're talking about. This is God's purpose, this text, for your life and my life in 2024 and the years that follow. One last question. What was the name of that younger family member that you thought about earlier and shared with the person sitting next to you? Bring that name back up. I believe God put that name in your mind and in your heart by His Spirit for a reason. God wants you to especially do everything you can to nurture, encourage, invite, inform that person about Jesus and His Word. Each one should reach one. 
God wants us to tell the next generation the stories about what He's done in our lives and answer questions about faith and most importantly live out a life of faith in obedience to His Word. Fostering the faith formation of the next generation matters. And the power of the Holy Spirit, let's bring the little children to Jesus. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for your word to us this morning. And as it sets the direction for the year ahead and reinforces what I know are uh, core values in this church, we do pray, Father, that in 2024, every one of us here will excel at fostering the faith formation of our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Lord, help us. We can't do this in our own strength. We need your Spirit. So we humbly ask you, Lord, to provide the opportunity to give us the inclination provide the means for us to do this in the days ahead. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his honor and glory. Amen.